0: Geek Bill Radio. Hello, once again, all your geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, aka Xandrax, the mayor of Geek Grill and the host of Geek Grill Radio, coming at you with episode number 323. We're going to talk some MCU news. And we'll do a rundown of Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantumania. Quantumania's running wild, brother. And as promised in the written review, we're going to go into a little more detail about where Phase 5 of the MCU will go from here. But before we get to that review, we'll talk news. Harrison Ford recently commented on why he's taking the role of Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Now, Thunderbolt Ross was played by the late, great William Hurt, going back to the beginning of the MCU in 2008. He played General Ross in the Edward Norton Hulk film, which is still part of the MCU. Now, the character goes back before that to 2003's Hulk, the Eric Bana one, where Ross was played by Sam Elliott. But Hurt played the role up through, I believe it was, Black Widow. He had a cameo there. But shortly after William Hurt's passing, Harrison Ford was announced as the latest actor to play General Ross. He'll be the third actor now playing that character on the big screen. Now, he was doing some interviews for, I believe it was 1923, the Yellowstone prequel series and when it came to joining MCU, he just said, I, I don't know, I, I can't explain myself to myself. I just work here. I thought everybody seems to be having a great time. I watch these terrific actors having a good time. I like doing something different to whatever I've done and pleasing people with it. So I'll try a piece of that. So it does sound like he's just doing this for fun. And I think he's going to be great. I mean, he's... It's not just because I'm a Star Wars and Indiana Jones fan. I think Harrison Ford's proven himself to be, to be a great actor. That said, he was literally one of the last names on the list that I would expect to see in a Marvel movie because really outside of Star Wars and Blade Runner, he hasn't really done much sci-fi. They've usually been much more real-world roles. And I guess there was Ender's Game as well. But one of the interesting... Twists to the character of ross is what kevin feige mentioned in a recent interview because the the character of thunderbolt ross goes back decades in the comics in the mcu it also changed over the course of the last several years he was first seen in the 2008 incredible hulk movie with, with edward norton which is still considered part of the mcu he was general ross in that hunting the hulk but He retired from the U.S. Army and eventually became the Secretary of State for the federal government. Now, many fans, myself included, simply figured that the character would just go on in that position. But Marvel Studios head honcho Kevin Feige revealed in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly that Ross will not be part of a presidential candidate, but will in fact be the President of the United States in the MCU. Now, Harrison Ford's no stranger to roles involving the U.S. president. His second Jack Ryan movie, Clear and Present Danger, saw him getting a verbal spar with the president. And a few years later, in 1997, he would play the president himself in Air Force One, which has that famous, get off my plane, line. So it looks like history will repeat itself because... We'll be seeing President Ross in the Captain America: New World Order, which will be the first Anthony Mackie Captain America film, and we'll be seeing him in Thunderbolts a few months later. I don't know about Secret Invasion, the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury series, but given that wasn't mentioned, and we probably won't, but there was no actual confirmation on that. Now, speaking of Thunderbolts, Feige also confirmed that the leader of the Thunderbolts will be James Barnes, a.k.a. Bucky, a.k.a. Winter Soldier. He referred to Bucky as the de facto leader, I guess probably because Bucky's probably the most heroic of that group, and even he's done terrible things. Obviously, we saw more of his background in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, regarding the Thunderbolts, longtime fans may remember When they were first introduced in 96 or 97, they were introduced as more of a tech-based superhero team, but the final pages of the premiere issue revealed that they were actually villains. It was Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil masquerading as heroes. Now, shortly after that, the other Thunderbolts rebelled against Zemo, ousted him as leader, and went on to continue as a group. But they're they're very much a group of anti-heroes that do questionable tactics. These are not characters that would have the values of, say, Thor or Captain America. These are people who are not above cheating to win, so to speak. One incarnation of the Thunderbolts did have the Red Hulk as their leader. That may be what we'll get in the MCU as well, because long-term comic fans may know who is the Red Hulk? Why, it's Thunderbolt Ross. So yes, this does mean we may get Harrison Ford going from I'm the president to hulking up and growing out of his shirts, becoming this big muscled terror and somehow his mustache disappearing. We may get a Harrison Ford Red Hulk, which would be interesting to say the least. And I wonder if we're going to see that in Captain America, or would we see it in Thunderbolts? Could we see it as a post-credits scene in New World Order, and then that launches us into Thunderbolts? You know, we'll see. We got a little bit over a year to wait before Captain America: New World Order hits theaters. Now, Feige also touched on a couple of other projects in the MCU, including Deadpool 3. And the Marvels, a little bit about Fantastic Four as well. But Deadpool 3, he did confirm that it is going to be R-rated, so it's still going to have the same elements that the first two did. It'll be interesting to see how that movie will be marketed, if it'll be marketed as a uh, Fox film or if it'll be marketed under the Disney banner. My hunch is it's going to be listed as a Fox film. And it is cool that we are getting Hugh Jackman back because it kind of becomes full circle going back to the first Marvel film being X-Men and that kind of being the role that made Hugh Jackman. I think it's kind of cool that the first mutant film, so to speak, the first full-blown mutant film is also Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. And I fully expect Deadpool 3 to have the commentary on how everything is getting rebooted. It wouldn't be Deadpool without breaking the fourth wall. It'll be interesting to see how the how deadpool is able to stop time look at the camera and then make jokes about how things are getting rebooted the marvels it, it is going to touch on the dynamic between those three characters obviously with carol danvers being this cosmically powered character monica rambo having powers not nearly on that level but still being a superhero and miss marvel basically being kind of a female Mr. Fantastic, or a Mrs. Fantastic, or whatever. Now, with Fantastic Four, are we going to see another origin? This would be now the second reboot, the third version of the Fantastic Four on a big screen. Or will they do kind of what they did more with Spider-Man and just have it, be, it show up and they're already established? And can we finally get Doom in Phase 7? Now, more on Doom a little later when we get to the end of the Ant-Man review. So with... But we will dive into the review right here. Marvel's MCU Phase 5 kicked off this past week with the much-hyped Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It marks not only the return of Ant-Man slash Scott Lang and Wasp slash Hope Van Dyne and the other Van Dynes, but it also marks the big-screen debut of Kang the Conqueror, who is going to be the main villain of Phases 4 through 6. Obviously, there are going to be some spoilers in this review, so I will waive the spoiler tag. Now, early buzz for this film showed a mixed reaction among critics with the public opinion actually being very positive. In fact, around the time I made this review over at Rotten Tomatoes, it had a 48% positive rating among critics and an 84% positive rating among the audience. So the, the direct inverse, 48 and 84 but, suffice to say, the, the film brings you pretty much what we saw in the trailers. If you liked the trailers, you'll probably like the movie. Scott has a measure of celebrity status in the beginning of the film. He's even written a book about his exploits as an Avenger. Plus, he has a happy life with Hope and his daughter. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Things are so happy. Oh, man. But... After getting bailed out of jail, Cassie shows her father and the Van Dynes her invention. She wants to be able to map out the quantum realm so that they wouldn't even have to go there to find out what is there. Janet, who has not spoken about the quantum realm since she returned, quickly shuts the machine down. Unfortunately, it's too late, and they all get sucked back into the quantum realm, and... That's our plot establishment for the first act. And from there, they have to not only find a way to get home, but stop Kang the Conqueror from escaping because he's been building this grand army like something out of Star Wars Attack of the Clones with just all these minions he has at his disposal. Now, one thing that's very apparent with this movie is it's not nearly as funny as the first two. I'm not saying that is a bad thing. It is much grander in scale, much more action-packed, and Janet is much more heavily involved in the plot, which makes sense given that she's the one that has the most experience with the quantum realm because she was marooned there for 30 years. That said, fear not, comedy lovers, there still are a lot of laughs to be had. The story is done by Jeff Loveness. He's probably most known for episodes of Rick and Morty, which that type of humor, I think, fits with Ant-Man very well. We had these critters at the beginning of the movie that I was just calling snot spiders because they look like snot in the shape of spiders. And we had characters getting attacked by what looked like giant COVID virus variants. And there's also a lot of slapstick and other forms of comedy throughout. So there is comedy in it. I just don't think it was quite as funny. But again, since it's much grander in scale, it makes up for that with action and effects. Now, the movie does take liberties with several characters. This is most apparent with MODOK. That's another villain that's making his big-screen debut. I guess you could say sort of making his debut, because in the MCU, MODOK is actually Darren Cross, who was the villain in the first Ant-Man movie, Yellowjacket. He was turned into MODOK after meeting Kang in the Quantum Realm. In the comics... MODOK is his own character. He has the giant head because he has a giant brain and also has mental and psychic powers. He can levitate, he can manipulate stuff, he can shoot beams from his head. But here he is much more played for comic relief and relies on tech-based weaponry. So quite a bit different from the MODOK you get in the comics. Honestly, I don't think there's too many diehard MODOK fans out there. So I don't think this is going to be too big of a deal for for fans, but I could be wrong. Now, as for Kang himself, his suit is pretty accurate to the comics, as are his physical abilities, because one of the things about Kang that is important to note, and what makes him an interesting follow-up to Thanos, as far as being the big villain, is Thanos He's referred to as a titan. He's got godlike powers. He's immortal. He's strong as the Hulk and all that. Kang doesn't have any superpowers. He is a human. His real name is Nathaniel Richards. But he relies on high-tech gadgets from the future to do his shtick. So you take away... The gadgets, you take away the technology, and he's just a man. This makes the climactic one-on-one fight between Kang and Scott in the third act of the movie more feasible because it makes sense that somebody who relies on technology to get what he wants probably wouldn't be a prize fighter. So them having a believable fist fight does make sense because neither one of these guys are probably known for being tough guys. Now, since you've made it this far down, I've already waved the spoiler tag. We'll assume you've seen the post credit sequences. the end of the movie, Kang was shown as getting disintegrated by a quantum power core at the end of the film. But even Scott has reservations about whether Kang is truly dead at this point or not. We are led to assume that this Kang was the original Kang, the OG Kang or original Kang, okay, OG Kang, okay, let's say OG Kang. But if you stayed through the credits, as good MCU fans should, you saw not only all the Kang variants, but also the message, Kang will return. Now, I'm not entirely sure that this was actually the OG Kang in this movie. We first saw Jonathan Majors play He Who Remains, in the first season of Loki. The outfit was kind of similar to Kang in his Immortus outfit. You may notice, though, that this version, He Who Remains, he did not have the scars on his face, whereas Kang in this clearly had the scars on his face. It could mean nothing, but it would seem to reason that an original version would not have scars, whereas the later version would, unless you somehow magically get rid of scars. Futuristic technology, maybe that took care of it, but that's my hunch, is there's a reason why he who remains does not have the scars on his face, but yet all the Kang variants do. We saw two out of the three most prominent Kang variants in that post-credit scene. This is what I promised in the written review that I was going to go into more detail here as far as where we could be going. But there are a gazillion ways Kang can come back from destruction it's possible that he was not vaporized or disintegrated or whatever it's possible he could have been sent somewhere else you know this this is a power that was able to transport people to and from the quantum realm so it's possible he got sent somewhere else we also got two of the big 3 prominent variants of Kang that we see in the comics we got two of those at the end of the movie in the mid credit scene we got ramatut who looked like an Egyptian pharaoh, and we got Immortus, who was the version with the long beard and the the tall hat, kind of wizard-looking. We got one that looked like it was a suit of armor, but I I didn't recognize which version that was because they were supposed to be like Scarlet Centurion or something like that, but Scarlet is red. Maybe they thought having Scarlet Centurion with Scarlet Witch, having two different villains with red, maybe they didn't want to do that, I don't know. But we also saw that there was that whole amphitheater full of... Kang variants. So we now literally have thousands of variants of Kang showing up after the supposed OG Kang is now dead. It also made apparent that these three Kang variants were the ones that banished OG Kang to the quantum realm in the first place. Now, regarding those two variants, you know, I mean, Ramatut, he was the first Kang variant that we ever saw. We actually saw him before we saw him as Kang proper. It was, I think it was Fantastic Four. He had gone back in time to the time of ancient Egypt to rule there, probably because he thought ruling in ancient Egypt would be easier than ruling something thousands of years in the future. But the Fantastic Four beat him. He zipped off, presumably to conquer another place in another time. But then the Avengers sometime later encountered Immortus. And he was dressed much more like how He Who Remains was dressed in Loki with the green outfit. You may notice those are the colors that Doctor Doom tends to wear a lot. So I don't know if this is going to foreshadow anything with Doctor Doom, but Kang and Doom do know each other in the comics. There's even a belief that they may be distant relatives. One may be an ancestor to the other. Or that just may be a coincidence in the movies that they wear similar colors. But I think we're going to see some connection between the two. But there's so many variants of Kang out there. It's murky at best as to which one could be considered the original. But I think we'll get a little bit more as far as Kang's background in the second season of Loki. Because the full post-credits scene, the one we saw after all the credits were done, It simply showed Loki and Mobius watching a character named Victor Timely give his presentation. I think it was about a time machine. And you saw on a close-up that this is very clearly Jonathan Majors with a mustache. So it establishes that this is another variant of Kang. And there was a a variant of Kang called Victor Mosley. He just wasn't around very long. I don't think I ever actually read him in any comics. I think that was something that was just done a long time ago. But that... Post-credits scene ended simply with the words saying, Kang will return. I mean, obviously, Kang's going to return. The next Avengers film is called the Kang Dynasty, so we can't have Kang Dynasty without a Kang, at least, if not many Kangs, a dynasty of Kangs. And it will probably also be what leads to Secret Wars, because Secret Wars will probably tie up all the multiverses into a reboot of a new MCU universe and we'll have probably recastings of a a lot of the classic characters. We'll probably get a new Iron Man, new Captain America, and the the whole nine yards, and everything can begin all over again. Because that'll be about the time they start doing remakes and reboots of stuff that they already remade and reboot 10 years earlier. But alas, I shouldn't get on that soapbox, because we all know without saying stuff like that. I don't need to say it again. But that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Geekville Radio. Thank you, folks, for listening. If this is your first time... We can be found at geekvilleradio.com. You can respond there. We're on the social media at Geekville Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us on the podcast platform of your choosing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, anywhere you find great podcasts or even some not-so-great podcasts. You can find Geekville Radio, our family shows, including Examining the Doctor, where Mark Short and I are going through the Tom Baker story, Brain of Morbius. A lot of horror tropes in that one. Train and I have Examining the Dead, where we talk horror and mysticism and such. He and I also do the lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame, where we talk about the maybe the underappreciated heroes, characters, and movies and such in the world of geekery. We have the nostalgia trip where Train and I talk about pop culture of the past. All those at geekvilleradio.com or the podcast you're choosing. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Let us know if there's something you think we could do better. I always appreciate feedback, especially when it's genuine. So the only thing I ask is just be honest. So with that, I'm going to power down studios here at Geekville Radio Talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.